Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, we uh, we chatted weeks ago about uh, General Motors and their strike in the United States as it uh, slowly started to affect uh, production and employment in, uh, in assembly here in Canada. Now GM shares are rising as sources come forward saying there could be a deal soon to end the strike. To talk more about all of this, Professor Rafael Gomez is with us, Director of the Centre for Industrial Relations and Human Resources, University of Toronto, and is with us now. Rafael, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you for having me, Scott. Uh, surprised at the length of this strike? Um, well, yes and no. Um, strikes, when they do happen, they happen less frequently now than they used to, say 20, 30, certainly 40 years ago in, in the 1970s and 80s, strikes were more prevalent. Uh, in Canada and really around the world, strikes have diminished in their frequency, um, but now when they do happen, they tend to last longer. So in a sort of empirical sense, no, I'm not um, shocked, but Mm. it is a long strike, and the workers have been out quite a long time, and it's led to a whole host of disruptions in the supply chain. But when you have one party that wants to change the rules or wants to change the parameters around which bargaining is happening, and that, that, that party is management this time around, uh, then these things can happen. They, they can take a prolonged um, time to, to sort out. As you mentioned, uh, if we go back a few decades, uh, these sorts of, uh, uh, this sort of labor unrest was more common. Sure. Why, why diminished over time? Well, a lot of factors. I mean, manufacturing itself uh, has diminished in terms of its, say, importance in the overall economy. And we, we tended to have lots of strikes over back then, 40 years ago, it was keeping up with inflation, right? So you'd think of a collective agreement lasting two and three years, and you agreed on some wage increase, but if inflation was, was ticking up, all of those wage gains were getting eroded away from inflation. So you had a lot of strikes that were really about keeping up with uh, the cost of living. And so you had a lot of debates around COLA, or the cost of living allowances in, in, in agreements and so on. Uh, and as that faded, that lessened uh, the impetus for strikes. The other issue was globalization, right? We signed free trade deals. We made it easier for companies and capital to move. And so when strikes happened, you know, companies that used to threat were going to shut down and then didn't. Uh, and so, you know, workers would strike for better wages and benefits and usually got them in the end. This time around, as, as we signed those free trade deals and capital could move to other jurisdictions, when management said we're going to close the factory, they ended up doing it. So strikes became kind of a less effective weapon in the era of globalization. So those are just a couple factors as to why. Has that changed the way we negotiate these deals? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think this time around, without you know knowing the specific <laughs> details of each you know uh, management and, and union's um, uh, bargaining strategy, I think it's clear that GM, especially how they treated the Ottawa Oshawa plant, uh, they're clearly looking to the future, and they want to close down a lot of legacy plants that. As much as you can retool, you can't really transform them into what they call 21st century manufacturing operations, which are much more heavily automated, much more heavily use of capital and technology, more so than now. And they want to kind of shut down the old and build the new with a fraction of the labor. And if you notice, this dispute with a sticking point was, wasn't about workers demanding the moon and, and these huge wage increases. They just wanted job protection. And GM was pushing them and saying, we can't guarantee that. We don't want to agree to that because, in fact, we can't protect your jobs because the future is going to be more robots, more machinery, and and the kind of production of autos. So is this more about about the transition that General Motors is going through than it is a labor dispute? 
Yes, I think the you know the union is doing its best to to represent its workers, and indeed, if there wasn't a union there, think of you know the way GM would have handled this. They would have just done all this right, and and kind of hurt a lot of communities, a lot of these workers uh, who have worked for many generations. In fact, uh, so the union is trying to put some brakes and trying to get some, we'll say, packages for these workers because eventually, I think that's what will be negotiated. There'll be some job protection, but mostly, what's the best transition and packages for workers. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's it's sort of a, a question also of GM coming out of the the global financial crisis, you know, bankrupt, bailed out by government. They think they're now past that. You know, 10 years on, they've paid back the governments. They've made their commitments for about a decade. You know, they, they signed on to some commitments to preserve jobs uh, as, as a result of taking that government money. But those deals are now ending, and they want to now move quickly to sort of compete with other companies that have brought in kind of more uh, newer factories and newer greenfield sites, which are more automated, more productive. Um, and, you know, for the workers, it's a bit galling because GM is making record profits. Um, but, of course, it's not about the present for GM. It's about the future. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're looking to streamline and keep up with comp- competitors that admittedly I think are more um, automated than GM is because they, they invested in their plants uh, at a later date. Obviously, the world is is looking for transforma- uh, transformation as as gradually we go off fossil fuels till renewable, uh, to right. renewable energies and such. How do we balance technology with old school manufacturing? That's a great question. I think we have to recognize that in our societies, jobs that can be done by machines will be soon because the cost of that technology is coming down. Even small and medium-sized companies that used to be prohibitive for them to automate, and still, like parts manufacturing, for example, was still pretty labor-intensive, they're now getting technology and capital investment that used to be what you know GM and other companies would have got a decade ago, the kind of big players in the auto sector. So the cost of technology, the cost of AI, the cost of robotics is coming down. I think we're going to see a gradual, even more uh, shedding of labor inside of manufacturing, that's the bad news if you were a worker in that field. The good news is the jobs that stay will tend to be higher paid. They'll be safer. You know, um, I think the, the jobs of the past in manufacturing, we're talking 40, 50 years ago now, uh, were not necessarily good jobs. I mean, from a health and safety standpoint, they were loud, they were noisy, they were dirty. Uh, we've improved that for sure. If you go to a, 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 a manufacturing line today, it's, it's probably unrecognizable from its, its past. Uh, mm. But still, they're jobs that eventually will be transformed into a service job where the service sector is growing hugely, right? We have huge demands for personal services, for care services. Um, There's shortages in all these areas. So, yeah, the future of labor will will be even more service-oriented and less manufacturing. So uh, the technology transformation that we're going through, robotics, AI, and such, is really an opportunity for these large uh, old manufacturers to 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 make wholesale changes to their original template and and literally change the way they produce manufacture cars. Yeah, and I mean the hope is that if they do work in partnership with their uh, their trade union uh, counterparts, the jobs that will remain will still be high value. They'll be good jobs, um, and who knows? There might be expansion in areas like you know the research and development, especially if we're gonna truly transform in 30 or 40 years' time to uh, a non-fossil fuel um, technology. We've seen Tesla actually is much more labor-intensive because they're trying to work out how to make these kinds of cars on a different platform, a different model. So there could be opportunities there uh, for jobs of the future in this area to make, might be better. But 
it'll require some collaboration, some trust between management and labor. And certainly there was not much trust in this case, or else the strike wouldn't have lasted this long. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that would be the positive half-glass-full story. <laughs> yeah. What do both sides learn from this transformation? Uh, what do both sides learn about balancing this? Because, as you mentioned, yeah. um, what can the, le- the unions learn in how to do business differently? Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, just as just as GM's changing its template, is it yeah. time for the unions? Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, if if I was privy more to the internal workings, I could give you a probably a more authoritative answer. But on the on the outside looking in, I think it, it would call for more of a almost sectoral approach because if you don't get buy-in from um, a few other players in the industry, then there's always this danger that um what's sometimes called whipsawing but you know one one player can 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 step out of some some general arrangement i think you know if you think of a sector that requires a sectoral response like for example germany has those kind of binding institutions and when they the global financial crisis 10 years ago wiped out a lot of you know manufacturers in other countries it didn't in germany because they acted in concert the unions recognizing there was this sort of perilous problem uh, took wage restraint, in fact, more than wage restraint. They actually took wage cuts, which is almost unprecedented, but they got, in return, a guarantee of no job losses. And if you get through crises like that, then that can be the setup for, for trustful relationships in good times. Um, and I think that's what's needed here in the sector. If we want to preserve the sector as a strategic player, I think you've got to bring management, labor, and government uh, kind of trying to work together and, and sort of acting in a strategic way thinking about what what other uh, industries are doing what other rival, what other countries are doing to stay competitive in the 21st century we remember uh, uh, just last year with uh, or earlier on uh, several months ago in regard to the closing of the general motors plant yeah. in in oshawa yeah. and that being announced there were, i believe four in the united states that were also yeah. Uh, being closed down. Donald Trump, President of the United States, was very vocal about trying to get a a couple of these U.S. plants to stay open. What about government pressure here? How does that affect all of this? Yeah, I I think government, you see, governments have also made some mistakes in the past in that um, I think they've, you know, they've provided lots of subsidies to keep jobs that eventually were going to go, and and these companies, you know, um, didn't Kind of fulfill the, the maybe maybe not maybe they fulfilled the letter of what was agreed but not the spirit. Uh, so they, in return for getting these subsidies, they were supposed to make X amount of investment, keep certain amount of jobs, um, but a lot of times they didn't. And so the government has uh, definitely can't repeat those mistakes because the billions that have been given to to major manufacturers could have been redirected to smaller companies that really needed capital. You know. Uh, so we wouldn't want to go there, but yeah, government pressure is the right thing. You know, uh, I think inducements um, to say, well, if you guys can come up with a st- strategy in your sector, then maybe we will help. Maybe we will help with the, say, the transition in terms of EI benefits that could be given to sort of plat- um, sort of bridge workers that are transitioning from one industry to another. There are some uh, manufacturing jobs that are st- are growing uh, in other sectors, especially in the green economy, um, and I, I would think there are a lot of not directly transferable skills, but indirectly transferable skills from manuf- uh, car manufacturing to this new green industry. And that's where government could play a role in concert with the union and, uh, and the employers. Uh, rumors floating around that the top execs are involved, GM involved in these negotiations now. Does that signal that it is coming to an end? I think so. I mean, there's always costs and benefits that, that, to these deals. And in practice, a lengthy strike tends not to favor labor. Uh, they tend to be the ones that make the concessions, or if they get any gains, 
because the strike lasted so long, the losses, they'll never recoup. So I think management has probably gotten what it wanted and maybe signaled its intention to to eventually close down a lot of more legacy plants in the U.S. and, and open new ones with less workers. So that probably has already been sort of baked in, and now they might give some concessions to labor in order to uh, actually get... Because you remember, you, the, the, the parties can agree on a deal. This has to get ratified by the membership. Yep. The membership is really you know pissed off, to use a mm-hmm. colloquial term. Then they might not get the deal. So m- management has to be tread carefully. They have to give something back to unions right now so they can go back to their members and say, hey, you know, we got this for you. This is the best we can do. Otherwise, the membership will say no. So how, how did this strike affect Canadian operations and Canadian workers? So I'm not too sure uh, about the details and the numbers. I think just from the fact that our, uh, there have been, I think, some uh, shedding of jobs, um, uh, certainly in the, in the GM uh, family and network of, of production. But I think our parts manufacturers are pretty resilient they have a lot, they they deliver parts to every auto, large automaker in mm. North America, and I think GM, as it's become a smaller player, you know, if this would have happened 40 years ago, it would have been devastating. Right. But their 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 market share is much lower, and so that feeds into the market share that parts manufacturers have. It's not as big a dent as it once was, uh, but certainly people inside the GM family, I think, are hurting. What does this mean for the workers of GM? Uh, after the strike is over, do they get retro pay? Does this, how does it work out for them? Is that I, all part I of the deal? I think that would have to be definitely part of some deal or else yeah. the, the management, if they got what they wanted on these strategic decisions, like plants are going to close and we're not going to get you know, blowback uh, from the union, we'll negotiate some packages, then they'll have to sweeten it in those terms because uh, the membership would be so angry that they've been out this long and gotten nothing. Uh, would that be reflected with Canadian workers as well? Well, the UAW and the CAW, you know, split uh, back in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how the CAW views its round of bargaining in this regard, because I think they've already crossed that bridge with the Oshawa plant and Jerry Diaz, very right. vocal. Uh, and it hurt GM. I mean, GM, everyone was castigating the union for doing what they were doing. Remember, they put those ads saying, yep, you know, yep. and it worked. It got mm-hmm. them to the table, and they saved you know, they were going to close wholesale that plant, have nothing there. Right. They got investment. They got an R&D facility, which I think well, they said would employ maybe 500 workers, maybe more. Um, so, you know, I think both parties learned there. The way GM acted unilaterally without discussion was terrible, and they suffered. Uh, but also the union realized if we just sort of sat back and accepted it, we would have gotten nothing. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, GM Oshawa, the future there. Will Will GM keep this land? Will they get rid of it? Uh, as you said, there is other activity still going on there, but mm-hmm. uh, on a much smaller scale. Mm-hmm. What happens to the to the footprint? Yeah, it's it's such a huge facility. I, I actually don't know. I think there's a huge opportunity. I know the city was actually trying to get GM to release. You know, buy, they would buy up some of that land for the purposes of kind of creating a hub, a new startup. You know, they've got that university, the Ontario Institute of Technology which is starting a whole kind yep. of culture of startups and built off of the back of that car technology. Um, and, uh, you know, the testing of autos, especially on fuel efficiency, that could be a real um, redevelopment opportunity there. And I think if you create more indigenous, independent, Canadian-owned companies uh, that could be spinoffs, this could actually generate much more long-term benefits for that area and that community, um, especially if GM does do what it said, which was invest in some uh, R&D capacity and keep a core uh, number of employees there doing high-end work, 
the spin-off to other independent companies that are Canadian-owned, employing Canadian workers and talent, uh, I think could be enormous. When will we see uh, the first plant that's dedicated solely to this? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> that would be great to I mean, know. any idea yeah. what that would look like? Um, you mean the plans for the redevelopment? Yes. Well, I think they have pretty good municipal leadership in Oshawa, from what I gather. And there's uh, Is there any way this could be used as an electric facility? Oh, very, I think so. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And, and, but again, there's a whole host of spin-off technologies regarding the testing of, of, of technology that still has to get prototyped and built. Uh, there's a whole projection that our public transit infrastructure will have to get fully converted to electric. Uh, and so far, we've relied on, on companies out west, uh, like in Manitoba and in British Columbia. And why wouldn't it be better to bring it home, closer to home here in Ontario? So, yeah. Uh, do you see this, uh, this transformation as being long and slow, or all of a sudden one day we're going to wake up and things are going to drastically change? Is there a tipping point here? Um, there, you know, you, you phrased it right. There, there is a tipping point phenomenon here, because once the network gets big enough and built up strong enough, then things move very fast. Yeah. Uh, people have pointed out that the, the move from horse and buggy to auto was less than a generation, right? It was about 20 years or less. Mm, mm. Uh, and those were conditions under which, you know, technology and, and infrastructure building was, was far more complicated and, yeah. and, and there wasn't a... It'll be a lot faster this time. Uh, oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Professor Rafael Gomez has been with us, Director for, of the Center for Industrial Relations and Human Resources, University of Toronto. Thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. It was my pleasure, Scott. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.